Hey guys, it's JC, the You Made New Podcast. I say that the same way every time, don't I? <laughs> I have this little sing-song way I do it. This is episode 13, and you may not be that excited. You know, when I tell you at the end of the last one, we're going to talk about repentance for the next two episodes. You may be like, ah, maybe I'm going to skip these. You know, like I said last time, it's never our favorite Never. Okay, here is where I need you to keep your eyes on the prize. I need you to focus and remember why we're doing this. Why we're doing this. We are seeking for the greatest gift ever available from the Lord Jesus Christ. To be reborn through him. Made alive through him. To give up our spiritual death once and for all. Do have a flame lit inside our souls that's going to burn perpetually and continually to make us feel alive in him. Now, okay, so we have a couple of episodes with some things to talk about that might not be our favorite, but oh, it is so worth it. Dig in with me. Stay with me. Don't lose it on this. I'm not, this isn't going to be terrible. I promise. But we do have to go over some things because it's part of of the path. I mean, it's just that simple. It's what the scriptures outline as part of the path. We can pretend like, oh, I don't don't know if I want to go there. That's okay. But if you want the true gifts and the true full experience of redemption that can come from him, it's okay. Come there with me. We'll get there. We'll get through it together. How about that? Um, We talked last time, though, about how we really can shift when it comes to the way we see repentance, that it can be a beautiful thing, a transformational thing. And then we read a verse from DNC 58, which is an LDS scripture about two parts to it. By this, you may know that a man repenteth of his sins. First, he will confess them. And second, he will forsake them. So we are going to talk about confession today. I mean, I just went into the to the thesaurus and the dictionary. To, to confess is just to acknowledge, to own it. It literally says to own it in the dictionary. To admit is true, to declare something. Uh, the synonym, synonym, I can never say that. Synonym I loved was to blurt out. <laughs> Let's just do that, shall we? To recognize, to come clean, to open one's heart. That's what we're doing. Listen to our favorite John the Beloved in 1 John 1. He makes it pretty clear. This is verses 8 8 through 10 in the King James. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. I mean, we can say all we, all day we don't really want to talk about this. But this is this is the key. I mean, the sin is there. And so if we say it's not, we're just deceiving ourselves. I, I actually love that passage in the message translation. Because it's even more like kind of in your face. It says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins... Make a clean breast of them. He won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God. I mean, 
Let's not do that, shall we? So let's move bravely into this space of confession. Because here's the thing. It's really not for God. He already knows all of it. He sees the whole mess for what it is. Probably, well, not probably, for sure, even better than we do. He sees the deep corners, all the deep corners of our heart. He knows what's there. So confession isn't like to tell him something he doesn't know. It's for us. It shows when we confess clearly, openly, freely, it shows that we see the mess for what it is, all of it, that we're no longer in denial or rationalization or justification. We're no longer relying. Well, I'm such, I go to church and I pray and I do all, we're not relying on the checklist. We're being real about the depths of what's going on under the surface. So confession is the key. It's the way to show him that we know that we get it, to agree with him, right? That's what the definition was, to acknowledge it. Um, Another way the scriptures describe this type of confession is by having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. In fact, there's a Book of Mormon scripture I really love on this. It comes out of 3 Nephi 9, verse 20. It says, you shall offer, this is Christ speaking. This is Christ speaking. I had to clarify that. Ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and the Holy Ghost. I mean, boom. See why the path is worth it? You want to be baptized with fire? Let's get that mess cleaned up. But I also thought of Psalm um, 34. It talks about the same thing. Verse 18 says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Same thing. But if you look in the other translations, most of them don't use the phrase contrite spirit. They use the phrase crushed in spirit, broken heart, crushed in spirit. In fact, the message describes it as kicked in the gut, (laughs) kicked in the gut. Ouch, right? Crushed in spirit. I looked up crushed, crushed to give it a little more um, punch. And it it says to squeeze or force by pressure so as to alter or destroy. To cause to become a pulpy mass. That one made me laugh. I mean, what a picture. Crushed in spirit. Basically inside you're a pulpy mass. And it isn't that the truth. I mean, I can giggle about it and kind of make light of it. But the the paths that we have walked have showed us some really tough things inside our heart. And so this is the point, yes, where confession can bring out some really difficult emotions. I'm not being lighthearted about this. I mean, this was brutal for me to kind of look at how deep the mess was. And it caused a lot of sorrow in my heart for all the wrong roads I've traveled, for all the sin that the Lord uncovered in my heart for all my wandering, all my idolatry, things that I put before him. I mean, there were layers and layers and layers of fig leaves. There was a whole stack of escapes and hiding places and all kinds of finger pointing. Like I had a lot once we brought it all out on the table. And it did kind of cause me to become a pulpy mass in my heart. Like, oh, It was hard to see that. There was brokenness. There was a broken heart over the many ways I was prone to wander and be Gomer. There was sorrow, but that's okay. That's okay. Let it come. This is the danger though at this point. 
Because that grief, that sorrow that we may start to feel for our sin, as good as it is, it may mislead us because there's different types of grief. And sometimes um, it may keep us from heading down the path the right way. My favorite author that tackles this is Matt Chandler. He wrote a book called Recovering Redemption with um, a co-author named Michael Snetzer. And in there, they do a chapter on this where they talk about four different types of grief over our sin that are deceitful, that are the wrong type of grief. So we start to feel these emotions as we begin confession and as we begin getting it out there. Here's what we have to be careful of. The first type of grief he outlined is horizontal grief, which means I'm really not that worried about my sin. I'm just upset I got caught. And if I hadn't got caught, I'd probably still be doing it. I'm just mad that I'm suffering the consequences because I wanted to live in that sin. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one, but man, that could definitely masquerade as repentance. I'm feeling very sad, but it's really just because I got caught. See how that's not the right path? But the other three, that one didn't really resonate with me as much as the other three did. The next type of deceitful type of grief is emotional grief. Listen to his quote again from his book, Recovering Redemption. This is Matt Chandler. He says, all the crying and carrying on can make for some dramatic, sincere sounding confessions. But raw emotion alone does not equal repentance. That's because emotions are truly the bouncy houses of the human organism. They go up, they come down, roll out, roll around, can't walk a straight line or keep their balance for more than a few minutes. So once the show's over and the aspirin has started to kick in, those energized feelings, the ones that you had promising, all those heartfelt never agains, won't be anywhere to be found, no matter how much you seem to mean it when you said it. Now he concludes this way. Whenever the main driver of recovery is emotional zeal alone, the fuel will always burn up once the passion is played out. The difference between changing our ways and being stuck in the same old stuff is often the same difference between wanting to be whole and just wanting to feel, feel better again. So you can see how we could get ourselves pretty worked up into some pretty emotional confession at this point. But he's saying emotion alone isn't repentance. What is driving it? Do you really want to be made whole? Are you just kind of sad that it's out there, but you really kind of secretly want to go back to it? Or, you know, you're, you're just, it's just emotional zeal. And so we just want to feel better. We don't like this feeling of looking at our sin. We just want that to go away. Or do I truly want to be changed, um, made new through Christ? That will go to a deeper level where I'll really let him into all the corners of my heart and say, sweep it out. This, yes, this is painful. But I'm going to confess it as it comes out. Let's look at it. And, and I'm not just going to get caught up in emotional zeal. I really want to go through this process. Another type of deceitful grief is passive grief. And this one was really interesting to me. He says it's like um, an example I saw recently on television where a guy was showing off his pet lion. And he was leading him around on a chain like a dog. <laughs> But during part of the taping, the cameras caught this enormous cat taking a swipe at the guy's girlfriend and it mauled her. I mean, the cat came close to killing her. And amazingly, he says, nobody could believe it. He says, we're talking about a lion here, okay? 
attacking like the apex predator it is. And people standing around flabbergasting, flabbergasted, wondering how such a thing could happen. And he's kind of being sarcastic. Bad lion, stop it. You sit. But he's a lion. He's a lion. He can't be led around on a chain like a dog. And that's what he said. That's where he ties in. He says, that's what we sometimes want to believe about our sin. We're sad at how it's hurt us or how it's caused us to hurt someone we care about. But come on, it's not nearly as ferocious as everybody says. If we just watch it more carefully, we can keep it under control. No problem. Won't happen again. If we just manage it a little better, we'll be fine. No need to overreact. But sin can't be trained, he says. Sin must be killed. It is a lion. It is that serious. And so this passive type of grief is we allow ourselves some grief, but we also do a lot of justifying. Like, it's not that bad. The pile of mess isn't that deep. I mean, again, we get caught in some of the things we've talked about so far about, you know, justifying and covering up by all the good we do. It's not that serious, but it is to God. It is. Our sin makes us an enemy to him. Causes us to be cast out for eternity. And there's only one way back. It is that serious. So letting that settle, even if it brings true grief, is worth the price we have to pay to get there. Now, the last one we've kind of already talked about, but I want to throw it out there. He calls it misplaced grief. Listen to how he explains it. This ties in with our pointing finger episodes. He says, there's another type of worldly grief. You're upset that your sin happened, of course. You're not saying you did the right thing. But none of this would have happened at all, you think, if your spouse didn't spend so much money, if your kids hadn't gone over into the neighbor's yard, if your job wasn't so incessantly stressful, if your parents hadn't been so overbearingly Amish. Blame, blame, blame. Yeah, I know I sinned, but blame, blame, blame. Listen, bottom line, he says, nobody can make you do but you. Other people and outside situations can certainly press down hard on you, exerting some serious influence. But you're the one ultimately responsible for thinking your thoughts and choosing your actions. Worldly grief, however, doesn't operate that way. It would much rather do the easy lifting of personal blame shifting. Even if it often disguises itself behind diplomatic apologies like, I'm sorry if I offended you or if there's anything at all that I've done. Listen now, he concludes this. Sure, why accept the consequences of your sin when you can dump it off on somebody else? <laughs> why go to the trouble of looking deeply at what you've done when it's so much easier just to fault someone else for how they took it? Why take responsibility for your actions when there are so many other places it can go and still keep your conscience all warm and cozy? Call it what you want, but shared grief is just pride with a sad face and it's worldly and it kills us. Ooh. Okay, so this is the opportunity to confess, but it's also a time where Satan may tempt us to get stuck in some of these patterns, in a grief that misleads us, or, or little sneaky ways that we still justify, or rationalize, or blame. This is the time to get real, to own our responsibility in our own actions, like he said, others, yes, have had an influence, but ultimately we chose how to respond. We chose those coping mechanisms. We chose those fig leaves. And this is, is where we get brave and we plead with the Lord for the courage to be real and to confess, to just own it. 
without any more excuses. Um, I think one of the last roadblocks that may keep us from freely confessing is fear. Like we're afraid the Lord's going to just shame us or reject us or condemn but condemn us. Like we're we're afraid he'll like he's going to be disappointed <laughs> if I confess that then he's going to you know come at he's going to be mad at me. Which is funny because he already sees it. He already knows it's there. I mean, when Adam was hiding in the trees, did God go wonder where he is? No, he knew right where he was. But we still hide because we're afraid of his reaction. He's going to be mad. And so we, we may not want to confess because we're afraid that we're going to let him down. But I mean, all we have to do on this one is John three seventeen. I mean, he is not waiting to condemn us. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but through the world, that the world through him might be saved. He's, He's like Hosea. He's waiting to bring us home. He knows the sin. He knows the mess. He's, he's our savior anyway. His love, his mercy is extended. So this is the time to get real. Now, I would suggest you get out a journal, a notebook, something you can pour out, not just get on your knees for five minutes and do a little confessing. I think this needs to be a very real, very extensive process because, you know, let's just leave no stone unturned. What I did, if you hate to journal, don't, (laughs) don't freak out. I think you could bullet point. I think you could make a list on your phone somewhere, write it down, um, kind of get it recorded because I think number one, it shows how serious we are about being honest about our stuff, but it also kind of puts it down there written somewhere, bullet points, journal pages, however you want to do it so that as we move through this process and we want to be healed of those things, we have it all out there down the road. For instance, let, let me just be as honest as I know how to be. I had, I'm a journaler, but sometimes I would do bullet points, just a little paragraph on some things that he had made known to me about kind of the darkness in my soul. I wrote a lot about my people pleasing, my desperate need for others approval. I wrote about my addictions to certain kinds of escapes and how I use them to try to fill my emptiness instead of turning to him. I wrote about grudges that I was holding on to about how often I was judgmental or critical of others. Um, I wrote about moments of worldliness or laziness or selfishness or pride, gossip. I had to get real about those things. Yes, they had happened in my life and I had to write, write about them, confess them, get them out there. I wrote about my struggle with fear and unbelief. Um, about times of self-righteousness when I thought I was better than others because they sinned differently or more publicly than me and I looked down on them when I was a sinner just as much as they were. Um, I I wrote about days where my gospel service was self-centered. It was to validate me and make myself feel better instead of honoring him as Lord of that service. I wrote about times of prayerlessness and completely forgetting him, going days without even thinking about him. Um, Sins in my marriage, sins in my parenting. And I wrote about things that are too personal to share on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, there was some of that too. There was a lot. And I, why would I list all that? Why would I be that real and personal? I mean, because it wasn't just a couple of things. We, we all have kind of a mess (laughs) that needs to be confessed so that we, we show him that we see the depth of who we've become as a result of the fall. 
We let that good girl, good boy mask slip. We stop pretending that we have it all together. We stop covering ourselves up with fig leaves and we just get real with him so that we can be made free and made alive through him so we can be healed. He sees it all anyway. I mean, we might as well be on the same page, right? So I know this is daunting. I know this is a tough one. And and if you're experiencing some type of brick brick wall or shutdown where you're like, I, I can't, take that to him too. Take it to him. He can soften your heart and so that you have the courage. I mean, his grace is, is there for all of this, the whole path. But it's it, this is a terrible example, but it's kind of like throwing up, right? When you finally throw up, doesn't it feel so much better that it's out? I know, I know. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. This will be okay in the end, I promise you. Let me close with a couple of scriptures that prove that. That prove that. The first is in Joel 2, 12 and 13. And he talks about this confession process. Therefore, also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your heart. Bro- There's the broken heart. And turn unto the Lord your God. Now here's the promise. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. He's not going to shame you. So I can point his finger at you. If you come in true repentance, he will be there. I love James 4, 8 through 10. This one gives us an even bigger promise, I think. I mean, maybe they're the same. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. In other words, if you need to feel the sorrow of confession, let it come. Mourn it. Mourn how you have left him and wandered off. Be afflicted, mourn, purify your hearts, cleanse your hands, draw nigh, and then listen to this last sentence. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now to me, that phrase right there, he shall lift you up. That is the very thing that will enable us to get through the discomfort of confession. Knowing he's saying to us, I'm right here, I'm right here. Let it come out. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. I'm kind. I will lift you out of the sorrow that has come as a result of the fall and your sin. He's right there to lift us up. Doesn't it change things to know that as we bow down and confess everything to him in, in humility, he, he's going he's gonna to lift. He's going to raise. He's going to start to light our hearts up. It's going to start to fill us with his light and his love. This is the very thing he's been begging us to do all along. Repent. When he says it, repent, repent, repent. Come unto me, come unto me. This is what he's been waiting for. So let's beg him for the courage to do it. Again, like I've said in other episodes, take your time with this. To me, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that I've done once and then for the rest of my life, I'm done with confession. I did have one very big season 
where it was all coming out because it had been repressed for so long. And I thought it was a good church girl that went to church and blah, 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 blah. And then once we got into the depths of it, it just kept coming out and more and more and more. So there was kind of a (laughs) purge. And I still practice confession often, but it's never been like that again. That's my goal for you. Let it come. And then hopefully we begin a practice where we remain close to him and he helps us continually confess and and just be open with him from here on out. I promise it's going to be cathartic, therapeutic. There is a joy that can come from finally getting real about our sin with him. Praying for you this week as you attempt this process, take your time with it, and then join me as we do the second part of repentance in the next episode.